You beat up Wendley, didn't you? Didn't you? A Wendley? little bit. He yeah. got mad at me, I think. What happened? Well, what happened was we were in the scene together, and this was a long time ago, too. But, um, you know, I'm like trying to be the tough cop girl. And I'm boxing with him, and I actually got him good. Like three times in a row in one take. You know, it's like, come. And his head kept snapping back. You know how that is, right? <laughs> right here. <laughs> I start tearing up a little bit. At the end of that take, don't you know that he knocked me out? He thought he just for real. Me. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't have to hit me that hard to knock me out, obviously. Yeah. But you know, he just hit me a little harder than usual because it was like it, we got in the moment, and I hit him three times real hard. His head snapping back, and you know he's probably getting mad. All of a sudden, he just goes tap, and I fall out of frame. Everybody's like, "Oh my God, what happened to Jennifer?" You know. And all I remember is that when I watched it in dailies, I all you hear is like a voice off camera going, "You better use that one." <laughs> <laughs> me on the floor. <laughs> Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bombed at the theaters, or maybe the critics gave a bad review. Brad, uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm ready to hop on this train. Come on, ride the train. Hey, ride it. Yeah. I got to tell you, there's three reasons why I'm excited about this week. You want to hear them? Sure. Can I get them in descending order, please? Descending? Yes. Okay. Reason one... (laughs) is we're no longer in the year 2007. We're not talking about a movie from 2007. I get a little antsy. I don't know about you when we start picking movies simultaneously from from the same year. I like I like yeah. to be all over the place a little bit. Especially the ones that require a lot of heavy lifting. Yes, which brings us to reason number 2. We're talking about a movie that isn't a gazillion hours long. I think it clocks in under 2 hours, right? It is 110 minutes. Yes, just to shy, but it's not none of these like two and a half, three hour uh, endeavors. Nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, you, you don't want every movie to be three hours. But the most important reason why I'm excited is we have a guest this week. Do you, do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, we have lover of death, the smoochie himself, Nate, back again. Hey, Nate. Hey, fellas. We're excited. I, I believe... I believe Nate is in your house, so I feel a little bit ostracized here, but that's okay. That's all right. Just we made sure he's in a different room and not on, you know, in the same room, so you didn't feel too weird about it. So we're yeah, almost in opposite corners. If that makes you feel any better, Brad? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I know the layout. Okay. What what movie are we talking about tonight? Yeah. So we're talking about 1995's action comedy heist film. Money Train, yes, uh, starring one Mr. Wesley Snipes and one Mr. Woody Harrelson. Yeah, a movie that was put together as a result of the success of another film, but this one unfortunately didn't do so well. And uh, I'm going to take the first of many, uh, I don't know, just off ramps in the discussion and go in an entirely different direction. I, I, I want to, I, I just can't hold this back anymore. I want to talk about what's going on in the film industry right now. So we feel woefully unprepared, but sure. Let's go. Yeah. So this is a film and I I think it's kind of interesting. 
the money, the money train, the movie we're going to talk about tonight is a film that exists because of white man can't jump. So studio saw an opportunity and said, wow, we we're printing money with these two. Let's give them another vehicle. And sadly, audiences didn't flock to this. Um, I feel like Hollywood is going through this exact same example, just on a bigger scale this year. Specifically, we're, we're recording a day after a uh, box office results are coming out for two big sort of summer kickoff films, The Flash and Elemental. And both have pretty much out of the gate, everybody's saying, okay, these things are, are bombing at an epic proportion. And unfortunately, they're not the first two out of sort of the summer movie season that is showing some troubles. We've got uh, high-profile movies like The Little Mermaid and Fast X, and they're doing okay at the box office, but they're not bringing the money that everybody expected. And in fact, they would be lucky to break even. Uh, well, Fast X, because of its international, is okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's not. It's 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 not doing as healthy as what it they won't make thought. a billion dollars no. like they want it to for sure. No, not at all. It seems like the only film so far that looks uh, very healthy is Spider-Man. What is it? Across the Spider-Verse? Yes, correct. Okay. And Guardians. Guardians did okay. It again, it crossed what 800 million, uh -huh. which surprised me, but it's not the billion dollar breakout. Marvel has certainly lost its shine so far um, from its heyday of uh, the Avenger films, etc. You could argue that the superhero fatigue is well and uh, alive. It has set in. Pixar has lost its magic. I think people are already saying the Indiana Jones film, Dial of Destiny, which is one of my favorite characters of all time I'm a little worried about, is, is already I, tracking for super low opening. I was thinking about the Pixar magic sort of downfall or the loss of their magic. And I, I think it, to me, the quality hasn't been there, but... As soon as they relegated Pixar films to be mm -hmm. day and date on during the pandemic on uh, Disney Plus, you basically relegated it to a secondary. And there used to be like a special release every summer was a Pixar film and it was special. Um, as soon as they did on like with Onward and uh, Turning Red and what was the other one? Oh, Soul. As soon as they put all three of those out on Disney Plus, you're basically saying Pixar films are just lesser. And I think that really hurts their mystique. Okay. I So before we talk about this bomb, Money Train, it seems like we're going to have a lot of bombs to pick from next year. We could probably just do uh, a whole couple of months on bombs of 2023 at this point. Because even stuff that I thought moderate budget but might have a cult following like Renfield – Nicholas Cage bombed. Mm -hmm. um, what do you What do you guys think's going on with the average moviegoer in the box office? I'll start with you, Nate. I mean let's let's put our armchair critics analysis on and kind of go. Hey, summer is not looking very strong. In in fact, I, I'll go on a limb here and say you're going to need Tom Cruise to come save it, and and that's probably going to be the next big hit. But what what do you think's going on with the the movie going audiences right now? I. I think it's a couple things. One, the pandemic, I think, may helped people realize they don't necessarily need to go to the movies to enjoy a film. 
Um, I know several people that during the pandemic still wanted to have that experience and so built their own theater rooms. And, and then once you've spent that kind of money on your own theater room, it's hard to justify going to drop out, you know, drop a bunch of money in the theater. Um, I think another thing is the way films are released has made it so people can access those films earlier than they would have. So you think if you go back even as recently as five years ago, you would have the release of a motion picture and then would do second runs in the theater. And maybe a half year later, you're lucky if you get the opportunity to get on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, so I think all of those things can press down. It's people like, well, I'll just wait two weeks before it's released digitally. If that might be the, the, the release schedule being put forward. So those are just a couple of thoughts. I'm curious what you guys think as well. Okay. What, what do you think, Brad? Put up, put on your risk analyst hat. What's going on? Oh, well, I mean, you could argue people will feel like they're getting the same release over and over again with all the superhero films. Um, and they're just tired of that. But I think Nate was onto something. We were conditioned during the pandemic to, to walk away from going to the theater and people have a million choices. Now, um, people sit on their phones for two hours and just scroll through TikTok uh, videos, or they'll sit on YouTube and watch stuff. The choice is there and it, it really starts to eat away at people's time during the day. And that stuff is relatively cheap. Going to the theater is super expensive. Um, I took my son to see spider verse, just me and him. And, you know, he wanted the popcorn bucket and all this stuff. I mean, it was like 80 bucks for just him and I to just see Spider-Man and, you know, do the, the snacks and all that. And like that, that's a real money. And especially now when things cost more than ever, it feels like film is just for some people, it's a luxury that they don't have to do now because like Nate was saying, wait a month and it'll be out on Paramount plus, or it'll be out on whatever um, streaming service that you have. It's just, I don't know, man, it's depressing as someone who loves to see film in the theater that, you know, it might be going the way of the dodo and I'm, I'm kind of starting to feel like that's going to be sooner rather than later. I, I don't know. Um, because the choices that it seems that these studios are making are not conducive to, to successful films. It just, we're getting the same thing over and over. Um, you know, if it wasn't for like a 24 making like weirder films, it just feel like they're all the same. I, I don't know, man. It's just, it is they're, just barren of ideas right now. They're they're all remakes or reboots or hey, let's put this slight twist on this old story a generation later and let's expect the same box office results as before. It's I think people are tired of it, of seeing the same thing over and over and over. And I love the ad now. You were talking about the flash, Troy. I I just was watching something on TV with my kids and it had a flash commercial and it said ninety-five percent uh you know, rating by the audience on by as of six fourteen, So they're like spinning it as like the audience loves it. The critics kind of hate it, but the audience loves it. And you know, you're getting that kind of spin on it. So I love the, how the marketing is trying to correct that. You know, most people who watch films for a living don't like it, but you know, your general audience does. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with everything that you guys said. I, I think it is a perfect storm of several different factors a couple of factors that I don't think you guys touched on because I think risk aversion 
from a studio in a business perspective is kind of killing the industry a little bit. Um, you'll hear things like ESG scores and, and studios, you know, saying, okay, well, my product has to have X, Y, and Z in it, or, you know, uh, we are not going to deliver to the masses and it feels very homogenized. Um, but you know, I've, I've always loved in talking about film because it is that push and pull between art and a business and it's, you know, tolerance for risk aversion. But, but I think there's two things going on right now. There, there is a quality problem with the product and there is a lack of spectacle. So uh, take the latest Avatar sequel. Some people can come back and you can say all day long, there wasn't a real quality product in its storytelling and everything else. But man, if you saw that thing in 3D, it, it was one of the best spectacles I've seen in years. And it was a reason to go to the theater. It was a reason to go to the theater because it was super immersive. Um, and if you're not going to dazzle people in a spectacle perspective, then you better have really quality storytelling uh, and have something that um, delivers an emotional punch or connectivity. And, and I'll throw something out there like John Wick 4. I think what makes that series uh, so impressive, and it was a hit, is what they did with that character and how it accumulated to a fourth chapter that I would argue it's one of the rare cases where each sequel that came past the original just really upped the ante in terms of spectacle and quality. Uh, and I, I think it, it it's a really engaging story, too, of what they did. But I, I got to tell you, when, when you look at the slate of films coming out, if it doesn't have the spectacle to bring you in then you're left with, okay, how good of a movie is it going to be? And I, I really think that's a problem and, and audiences are picking up on that and, and they're kind of sniffing out like, Hey, this is no better than what I can find on Amazon prime, Netflix, anything else. And, you know, quite honestly, uh, I think all three of us have seen extraction Two, which is sort of Netflix's big release over this weekend. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a lot of fun with it. It had spectacle. Uh, it, it was, there was some crazy, just creative directing going on in that film. Yep. And I can tell you nothing that came out this weekend. I would, I would say match it, even though I haven't seen flash or the Ele or elemental uh, or blackening. That was another one that kind of flew under the radar. Um, but yeah, I, I think all of uh, everything that you guys said is, is very true, but I do think we're, we're in a quality and spectacle. I mean, Nate and I just took in the latest Donnie Yen film and I was super excited for that. Sakura, and oh my God, I think the the best review I can think of for that, and, and Nate and I saw this and, and it was perfect. It's skip the movie, but watch the fight scenes on YouTube because that's all it's good for. Yeah. Well, I saw, I was looking before we started recording. I was just curious because I saw the flash and I was like, oh, the next DC release is black or blue beetle. Blue beetles reported budget is $120 million. What yeah. are you doing with that? What are you doing? Know. And the trailer looks, looks like every other superhero. Fucking, the Spider-Man film and the spider man I, I mean, I know some people are like lukewarm on it that we know. I think it's freaking brilliant. And I think again, it's a combination of spectacle and amazing storytelling uh, that I'm super excited to see what it does with its follow-up chapter. But man, it's it's few and far between this year of films that have come out that you go, hey, if if I'm not wowed, I'm at least being wowed by the storytelling, the craft, the art, the director, anything else of that nature. 
But even then, it's got to have a particular budget. Because I, I think the way of this $300 million budget stuff, it's it's got to go, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Fast X was 340 production That's only. nuts. Indy's like 350 which yeah. boggles my mind. Wow. Yeah. Well, so, so back back to the quality point, do we think we're finally out of the weeds when it comes to productions that were shut down due to COVID or do we feel now? Cause now we got a writer's strike. Yeah. Now we got writer's strike and then, right. But I, I guess my point being, we had the shuts down shutdowns due to COVID and now we're trying to play catch up due to COVID. Now we're going to have to slow down to the writer's strike, but are we fine? Are we seeing a, a lack of quality due to things being thrown together more quickly to try to catch up? You would hope so. Maybe. I, I still think the lack of quality is due to the fact that studios need to do a little bit more of what A24 is doing and taking a chance on its filmmakers in, term of, in terms of its vision um, and getting some movies out there that have that water cooler quality to it where people are going to say, hey, did you see the, the, this movie this weekend? Let's talk about it. And there seems to be an organic grassroots like fever behind um, you know, the, the population who want to go out there and see it before and, and not wait for it to stream or for you to rent it or buy it or something of that nature. Like, I think we're missing some of those films. I feel like the last time we had that was Maverick. I think so. A hundred percent. That was the last time I, I had like a conversation with normal people and they were like, man, I saw Maverick and it was amazing. Yeah. And I, again, spectacle and quality hand yep. in hand. Yep. Yep. Well, let's, let's go back in the time machine and talk about 1995's money train. So when this thing came out, I think there was a lot of expectation for it to be a big hit based on uh, a film that came out in 1992 called White Men Can't Jump. But Yeah, I was going to give you a little con- – do you want me to give you context on that? Yeah, I was, was going to kick it over to you, Brad. So okay. th- this is one of those cases where the studio kind of looked at a formula and said, hey, we got something here, so let's capitalize on it. But let's let's go tell the story of what happened when it released. Yeah, so White Men Can't Jump first off because that stars Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson and was a $30 million budget, made $91 million. So pretty successful. Um, And basically everyone praised Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes and their kind of rapport on screen. So three years later, we get Money Train with a $68 million budget. One red flag right there. $68 million <laughs> is too much. Well, let, let's throw in something, too. We're, we're talking about the early 90s. So if something is a, a, let's say, a modest hit to go from $30 million to $90 million, then throw in VHS rentals, purchases, DVD, everything else, this oh. thing took off like crazy. Especially You're talking about White Man Can't Jump. White Man Can't Jump, yeah, especially yeah. on the home video market. So they're not- And syndication. It was on cable- all the time. Yeah, this was this was a big film for early 90s in terms of not just a box office success, but it had a lot of success in early rentals and purchases. Yeah, TBS loved White Man Can't Jump. Yes, it um, did. So, again, uh, Money Train was $68 million. It makes $35 million domestically, about $42 million internationally for a $77 million box office run. God, not good. Well, I mean, again, we talk about expectations and I, I $68 million is just too much, Troy. Well, it's too much. Yeah. I mean, if you tripled what you spent on a budget, 
you certainly were hoping for this thing to do like 125 million to just be a huge success, right? Yep. Yep. <clears throat> so opening weekend, it makes $10.6 million. That's good enough for fourth place that weekend. And it gets beat by the following films, toy story. Ooh. Speaking of Pixar, yeah. golden eye, Ace Ventura, when nature calls, and then the money train. And then the fifth film that week was casino. Oh man. Scorsese. And here we go. Critically money train sits at a 22% with the critics and Ouch. a 29% with the audience. Ouch. Oof. Not favorable. Ow. Not favorable at all. Um, yeah, that, uh, not good with that. I was going to look up and see what white men can't jump was. I think it was like 77. It was, it was white. higher. Let's just say it yeah. was higher. Oh, it was much higher. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then films you could have seen November of 2000 or of 1995. You have things like fair game home for the holidays. Uh, we already talked about Ace Ventura when nature calls, which made $212 million. Wow. The president, the American president golden eye, which made three fifty six. It takes two casino on its way to one thirteen, And the big winner that month was toy story with three sixty five. So to put that in context, there's one, two, three, four films that month that made over a hundred million dollars two of them made over 300 and roughly about $350 million. Wow. So, you know, you're, you can't see everything and you're going to see those. So, and, and yeah. that's 1995, $300 million. So. Yeah. So it's like 600 uh, now, 500. Let's just call there. it a yeah. gazillion. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What's money. Yeah. Do we, do we want to do it now, Troy? Do we want to do it now? Let's do it now. We haven't done this for a while. Some, so we had, we had some feedback and they said they missed this. So we're like, okay, well let, let's, let's bring it back for an let's episode. Let's just see if it's there. Let's see if it's there. Go ahead. <sighs> movie guide, the family guide to movies and entertainment. Yeah. Since Nate's here, it's appropriate, right? Yes. And uh, <laughs> movie guide rates films on a plus four to minus four scale. Plus four is you're going to heaven. Minus four is you're robbing a train. Guys, where do we think Money Train sits on the old Christian website scale? Yeah, go, Nate. What, what are you thinking? All right, let's see. Uh, I'm going to go with a negative three. Ooh. Ooh. Um, I'm, I'm heading that way. I mean, there's violence, there's sex, there's robbery. Uh, there's murder. I, yeah, I'm going to go negative three as well. Ooh, you're both correct. Negative three. Ooh, yeah. <clears throat> Content. Pagan worldview. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> 80 obscenities, three profanities, and 33 vulgarities. I think those are all just synonymous. Is that like... I was going to ask what the difference between the two and all those three. I have no clue. I don't know. Constant violence, including direct view of street theft shot, street thief shot multiple times in the torso, a man lit on fire mm -hmm. and run over by train, man shoved yep. a platform under moving train, yep. numerous physical fights, including knife and guns, Man, man being thrown through glass, cops punching and kicking other cops, passenger train crashing into each other, a derailed train destroying a section of subway tunnel, a train is riddled by bullets, threats of bodily harm. How does it hold violence. on? Time out. How does a train being riddled by bullets actually offend God? 
I'm, I'm uh, to... I don't know. God created man, man created subway. Therefore, God created subway. Okay. So shooting if, the train in a subway is an offense is, against. Yes. Okay. Eh, makes but, sense. But isn't that train holy at that point? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Way to go. All right. Uh briefly depicted fornication. Upper female. Briefly. Nudity. There's no briefly yeah. there. No. No. It was oh sensual. Yeah. yeah. Uh upper male female nudity and seen in strip bar slash dressing room. Alcohol use, gambling, revenge, theft, lying, sexual harassment. They they say lying sexual harassment. That's one thing. Were they lying about sexual harassment or yeah, like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Grace does lie about being, wait, what? No, mm-hmm. I, I thought she lied about being harassed. Here's, I, here's a statement. I, I thought not, I thought I would never see on this website. Racist comments against blacks. Oh yep. yeah. Yeah. There, there were a few of those <laughs> whites and Latinos yep. men. Oh, I'm sorry. Racist comments against blacks, whites and Latinos. So all three, uh, men, urinating on cars and God is mentioned in the context of a man. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go, Troy. You know what I don't miss about those reviews? The, uh, the grammar, grammar? the grammar. Yeah. Try reading it. (laughs) I know. I (laughs) hate a feel free, bud. Uh, let's talk about some of the people who contributed to this film. We'll go behind the camera real quick. Director, Joseph Rubin, uh, he's got an interesting filmography. He's done some stuff like dreamscape from 84, the stepfather in 87, uh, a film I just wanted to ask you guys about, I believe is Robert Downey Jr. 1989 True Believer, sort of a courtroom thriller thing. Either mm-hmm. of you see this? Yep. James Woods, right? Yep. Yeah. I have not seen that. Okay. Check it out. I, I think it's good. Uh, and then in the 90s. I believe there's a Kurtwood Smith in there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, and in oh, the, I love it. I'm sorry. The 90s, we get Sleeping with the Enemy, The Good Son, and Return to Paradise. Now, this gets a little interesting. The screenplay is done by Doug Richardson, who also gets a story credit. He did some stuff like Die Hard 2 in 1990. Another sort of big action franchise came out the same year that he contributed on the screenplay for Bad Boys from 1995. And uh, this little Bruce Willis film that I don't think gets talked about enough, Hostage from 2005, which uh, I don't know what you guys think. I, I kind of like that one. Mm. You know, trying to think which one is hostage. Yeah, there's it's sort of the hostage takes place in. Oh, in thanks, the house. Troy. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, the other screenwriter is David Lowry. Um, also worked with Joseph Rubin on Dreamscape in '84, a film that I think we're going to talk about at some point. Star Trek V: The Final Frontier in '89, and uh, this is what David was doing in the '90s. Uh, Passenger Fifty Seven, The Three Hell Musketeers. Yeah. Then did Money Train and later on does movies like Lakeview Terrace. One other person I want to mention behind the scenes, stunt coordinator Jack Gill. So he had been doing stunt work since 1976. And what's interesting about Money Train is while he's the stunt coordinator, you have 80 people who have stunt credits on this film. You can go back and look at Jack Gill's um, credentials. I mean, he's been in everything. Let's talk about the cast real quick. Spend a little time here. I'm going to start with you, Nate. So we've, we've got two stars in this film. Let's, let's kick it off with Wesley Snipes. What's your take on Wesley Snipes? You, you like him as an actor? Do you have a favorite Wesley Snipes film? Uh, I do like him as an actor. You're not necessarily in my view. I mean, some of his earlier stuff, like. Really you wouldn't take tax advice from him? Sorry. I uh, No, I definitely would not. I would not. Uh, I would. I would. It seemed to work out for him. <laughs> 
Um, I've, the Blade films, I was a fan of. I remember liking Undisputed, Art of War. Uh, the Fan, I think, is one I recall really, really enjoying that I need to revisit. Um, I was looking through his IMDb uh, credits. I didn't remember him in King of New York. Yes. Probably because I remember walking out of that more than anything. That that movie uh, then, has, of course, uh, Major League. Yeah, Willie Mays Hayes. Willie Mays Hayes. Yep. King of New York's yep. interesting because you got Caruso in the background, Wesley Snipes. I mean, I know it's a Christopher Walken. Walken film, but yeah. the the supporting yeah. cast is ridiculous in that thing. Yeah, Fishburne. Fishburne's in there. Fishburne's right? yeah. in that too. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. So uh, it's not that I run to the theater and see everything he's in, but I've surprisingly seen a ton that he's in. Okay. What about you, Brad? Where, where do you land on Wesley? I love Wesley Snipes. Love him. Um, I remember Nate brought it up, but I watched so much Major League when I was growing up. Um, and that was kind of my my jam. And uh, then, you know, New Jack City, White Man Can't Jump, Passenger 57, Demolition Man, oh, Drop yes. Zone. Uh, then you have the sort of okay fugitive ripoff U.S. Marshals, which is still okay. But <clears throat> Blade 1 and Blade 2, like I love those two films. The third one is trash, but Blade 2, I don't think it's talked about enough. Like it fucking rocks. That movie is awesome. Well, it has Donnie um, Yen in it. Of course it does. Yes. Yes, it does. Um <laughs> Yeah, and then of course he has to go away for a little bit because of some tax stuff, and then he kind of comes back and does a lot of direct-to-video stuff. Um, I watched one of them called Gallo Walkers, and I wish I didn't. So um, <laughs> yeah, but there for a while, I mean, he was a '90s staple for me. And when we talk about African American actors, like for some reason Wesley Snipes isn't brought up, but dude is awesome like just awesome and kind of gets slept on a bit and i don't know why because as i mean you see him in this film there's a he doesn't box great but you see him kind of throw hands in this with his shirt off you're like good god that guy is chiseled um so yeah yeah, he's, yeah. hey look he's got a grace in his he can't play arts. basketball either it's so funny if you watch white <laughs> man can't jump the white guy shows a lot of skill the black guy you're like eh. I mean, well, yes, you're athletic and you can jump, but we'll man, get you can't there. play basketball. I think we all watched White Man Can't Jump this week, so we'll we'll share some thoughts on that after Money Train. Uh, I, I echo your sentiment on Wesley. I, I got to say, in the 90s, I loved Wesley Snipes, and I had always liked him as an actor, but Passenger 57 in 92, just, man, it hit all my buttons. I freaking love that film. And then he does something like Rising Sun with Sean Connery, which I think is a really good low-key thriller. Demolition Man that same year is so much fun. Drop Zone, I think, is this little underrated action gem that everybody's got to go check out. Oh, yes, Drop Zone. Yeah, yeah. and then even in the mid-'90s to do stuff like Tu Wong Fu, Waiting to Exhale, kind of stretches dramatic chops. Holy shit. I just remembered if that movie yep. came out today, people would lose their goddamn minds. Yeah. Could not Holy happen shit. Today. Yeah. But then, but then to go do blade in 98, I mean, in terms of action icons of the nineties, Wesley Snipes has got to be in the conversation in the top, in my opinion. Yeah. Why isn't he? I don't know. I mean, is it because he's black? Oh, I, I, in today's environment no i th i think no, people are saying like i know i think people appreciate him for something like blade in 98 
But sometimes you get a film that's so iconic like that, you forget about the Passenger 57s, the drop yeah. zones, the rising suns. Like, and I guess none of those none of those were T2, right? Like none of those were like the biggest films ever made. Yeah. But they were quality, maybe B-level action films. They weren't like the highest tier, biggest grossing. So he wasn't ever in like a huge grossing film. I think... I'm trying to think what his highest grossing film would have been. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would default to Blade, but I, I got to say, I mean, he was doing these action films and slowly gaining some notoriety, and uh, he just always delivered a good product in the 90s. I, I think, you know, not just as a screen persona, but from his acting chops. And, man, I, I love watching him kick people in the face. I, I'll be honest. He looks good doing it, which I think mm -hmm. helps. You guys um, think his best movies were in the nineties and maybe people feel like he's past his quote unquote prime and then therefore not talked about as much now or that could be. Yeah. I, I, I think most actors, I, I, we've never really talked about this, but I think it's very rare for an actor to come out of a decade. So yeah. take Wesley Snipes. Um, he was great in the nineties Outside of the 90s, I think you get diminishing returns. And it could be the audience has a different appetite. Maybe some of the roles um, didn't come his way that he needed. Or, you know, the tax thing got in the way. Yeah, The Art of War probably isn't that great of a film. Yeah, it's it's okay. But yeah. at some point, you got you to gotta do something different. I mean, say what you will about Arnold Schwarzenegger. But to be the action icon of the 80s, to translate that into the 90s, and then to continue that career... The guy had to take chances like twins and, and junior and some of the comedy elements Yeah, kindergarten cop to continue to be relevant. Um, and I think Wesley Snipes started to do that sort of mid career with like Tu Wong Fu waiting to excel, et cetera. I mean, say what you will. I, I think he's a really good actor, but I don't know if he could do uh, if he did enough. But at the end of the day, if you look at all of the actors or actresses we like, you're going to find that 10 years where you go, yeah, they're, they're on top of it. But outside of a 10-year run, it's rare to find somebody who continuously puts up good quality product. Um, and even at 20 or 30 years, I, I think that's a stretch. I mean, I love Jackie mm -hmm. Chan. Love him to death. 70s, 80s, 90s. After that, I mean, he had, he had a 30-year good run, man. He did. Tom Cruise yeah. is the only one that comes to mind that stood the test of time. But that, that tells me Scientology works. I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> you're, you're talking about the wrong action star. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> um, let's talk about Woody Harrelson. Uh, we, we spent a little time on him when we did Solo, a Star Wars story from 2018. Gosh, Brad, that was like episode 47. It was a long time ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to give you some context, Cheers ended in 1993. He, man, you, you couldn't do a film more different than his character on cheers than 1994's natural, natural born killers. Born, yes. Yeah. Yes. Then he does money train in 95. The following year does Kingpin in 96 and people versus Larry Fent in 96 as well. Nate, um, are, are you a Woody Harrelson fan? I am. Um, I think some of my favorites of his more recently, uh, the man from Toronto really enjoyed that. That's, I think it was a Netflix release, but uh, I really liked him in True Detective. Oh my I thought god, that was yeah, a solid so performance. Yes, yes. Um, 
uh, those are the top two that kind of jump to mind. I know you guys will have a couple others that, yes, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that one, too. Like, Zombieland, is, that's another one really enjoyed. The first one. Yeah. I like yeah, the second the, the one, first so, one. yeah, I, I enjoyed it. All right, Brad, what about you? Well, we talked about Solo, so there, then also Three Billboards. I mean, he's got a ton of stuff. Like, I that Hunger Games stuff, like, he was pretty good in that, like, for what it was, um, seven psychopaths he's in like he, it seemed like he like early two thousands, he kind of went away for a little bit and then he came back and you're like, Oh, this guy's actually pretty good. Um, he's more than, okay. He's more than, no, he's awesome. Good. He's awesome. He's amazing. Um, look, you don't know what you're going to get out of Woody Harrelson in a performance. I, he is unpredictable and I love that about him. Yeah. I, I will say, I think, him as Larry Flynn and the people versus Larry Finn was pretty, pretty great. But then like, he can do the comp, like he's a funny guy too. Yeah. Like Roy Munson in Kingpin is <laughs> pretty awesome. And so for him to be able to do the comedy, the stuff he did in cheers do natural born killers. And he's terrifying. I mean, he's got a lot of range. People just kind of think of him as this stoner guy who makes movies, but he's way more than that. Yeah, I think about a small role like uh, Wag the Dog and what he does from it. He's mm-hmm. so memorable yep. in that film. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I've I've always loved Woody Harrelson, and I think he's one of the great actors. He's one that, again, it's a good example of he transcends what he brought to television in the 80s because he's really – he's taking these roles that I think are super challenging. Oh, he was also in Scanner Darkly. We yeah. did that. Yeah, and yeah. he he constantly reinvents himself with each role that he takes on, um, and I I think he's going to be one of those guys a lot of people talk about in the future of like go go look at this guy's filmography and look how amazing he is. I think like ninety five percent of probably ninety nine percent of actors would would love to have his career. Oh, absolutely, I agree a thousand percent. All right, moving on, we get. Jennifer Lopez as Grace Santiago. Is that is that how Robert Blake would say it? Santiago. Jenny, Jenny, Jenny from the block. Yes. Jenny from the block. Okay. So let's talk about her film career around this time period. She was doing My Family in 95, Money Train in 96. Same year she does the Robin Williams film, Jack. I think gets a little bit more notoriety with Selena in 97. Then has, uh, I think, a modest hit in Anaconda in 97 as well. As mm-hmm. well as uh, Oliver Stone's U-Turn, she had a, she had a great year in '97, and then '98 with George Clooney with uh, Out of Sight. I think this is another bit of an underrated actress of the '90s, in my opinion. Yes, she's in one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life: Angel Eyes, <laughs> and then that movie Enough. Oh yeah, those are terrible. Both of those oh, movies. not not Geely. Oh, and Geely, and Geely, yeah. and Jersey Girl. God. She's in some terrible ones, but look, she, she had, she had some good ones in the nineties, I think. And I, I, Hey, look, I not, not a huge fan of her music, but I think she's a good actress when she gets the right material. I believe she wasn't, she a fly girl too on in living color. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, the cell, the cell is interesting. Oh, is that a bomb? Cause we might have to do that movie. That's that was a Tarsum film. Wasn't it? Yeah, that was Tarsum. Uh, no, actually that movie made a lot of money. Yeah. I thought it did really well. I like to revisit it though. Just the no, nothing stopping you, man. Go watch yeah, I know. it. All right. Thanks, Troy. <laughs> a couple more names I want to talk about before we talk about production development. Robert Blake as Donald P- uh, Patterson. 
I think a lot of people would know him from this time period for Beretta that ran from 75 to 78, which he won an Emmy for lead actor in a drama series. Around this time period in film, he was doing Money Train, and then a couple years later worked with David Lynch on Lost Highway, very creepy part from 97. In 2001, he was arrested for his wife's murder, but ultimately acquitted in a trial that made sort of worldwide headlines. You can go and read all of that stuff. Very that here made some headlines. Yeah, very interesting um, career. And then lastly, somebody that kind of pops up that you don't really expect is Chris Cooper as Torch. And he was an Oscar winner for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Adaptation in 2002. Another sort of amazing character actor oh, and supporting right, actor did. that shows wow. up from time to time. Um, just a couple of things I want to talk about in production and development before we share our thoughts on the film. Real quick, Snipes and Harrelson, because of White Men Can't Jump, and it was a hit, the studio came back to him and said, hey, we'll pay you both $5.5 million to do this film. So pretty so much $11 million of the budget right yeah, there. $11 million yep. of the budget just went to these two. Uh, but in addition to its poor reviews, when it came out, the film was vilified for its betrayal of the torch, robbing a ticket booth by running a rubber tube around the bulletproof partition and dousing the attendants with an unknown flammable liquid, then threatening to set them on fire. The crime was repeated in real life after the film's release, although police did not think the similar crime was related to the film. But nevertheless, we had Mr. Bob Dole going out on television and into the public calling for a boycott of the film. See, boycott. It's as old as, as, old as anything, Troy. <laughs> yeah. and Old and, crusty white men getting mad at movies. Yes. Uh, this is the other thing I kind of wanted to bring up. So Money Train, from a box office perspective, didn't fare well, but I think it's really interesting to talk about what were the successful action films that came out that year. So we're talking 1995. I want to read through the top 10 action films of 1995. All right, you ready? Number one. Oh, I'm getting my headspace here. 95. 95. 95. Okay, go ahead. All right, number one, released by Warner Brothers in the summer of 95, Batman Forever. Okay. Yes. Also, that summer, released by 20th Century Fox, Die Hard with a Vengeance was number two. The and this is domestic returns, not international. So the numbers that you gave earlier, Brad, were all worldwide grosses, right? So we're just talking Mm -hmm. about U.S. domestic. Okay. Number. I know one film that you haven't mentioned yet, but keep going. Okay. Well, the next film I'm going to mention you mentioned, which was Goldeneye, came in at number three. Mm -hmm. All right. Number four was Crimson Tide. All right. Number five was Waterworld. And we've talked about that before. We have, okay. Number six, Mortal Kombat. That came out that year. Number seven, (laughs) Bad Boys. Okay. This is going to flip your lid. The number eighth film that beat Money Train, and domestically it ended up making $50 million. I don't know what the worldwide gross was. So it's sitting number eight is Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Mr. Steven Seagal himself. Number nine. You ready for this one, Brad? So this this beat Money Train as well, domestically. Um, by <laughs> Barely. It barely beat it, okay? Judge Dredd was Sylvester Stallone. And Money Train small. came in at number 10. And the difference between the gross is the domestic gross. So Judge Dredd came in at 34,687,000. 
Money Train was thirty four million six hundred seventy eight thousand. So they they were kind of fighting for ninth and tenth place there. What about that Michael Mann film that came out in nineteen ninety five? So Heat is not it's it falls in the drama category. Crime drama. Okay. Crime okay. drama I'll, versus action. I'll buy that. Yeah. I'll buy that. Yep. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I knew it. Heat shows up on this list for like best action movies in 95. But let's be honest. It has an amazing action sequence in there that was probably the best of that year. But it's a crime drama. Yeah. Okay. You had your rebuttal ready for me. I love it. I did. I did. When when it's I'm like, like this motherfucker is going to bring up Heat. I've got to have this one in the chamber just for it. Uh, okay. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back. Let's talk about how our revisit went with Money Train. So uh, everybody sit tight. Stay tuned. In the mood for hot coffee? When you are, nothing else will satisfy. Coffee has a flavor, an aroma, a deep down satisfying goodness all its own. And our coffee has something extra, the care with which we brew and serve it. You'll enjoy the show more while you're enjoying steaming hot coffee. Come and get yours now. John Wayne is McHugh. And this time, for the first time, he's a cop. Three cops are dead. Two million dollars in junk is missing. And somebody's trying to hang it on McHugh. Santiago's collecting the murders. McHugh's got a job. If he can't do it with the law... You're off the investigation, Lieutenant. He'll do it beyond the law. All right, Come on now. I know you're in there. You've seen tough cops before, but you've never seen a cop like McHugh. McHugh is everybody's target. You've never seen John Wayne before. Like this. Wayne on wheels in McHugh. From Warner Brothers. Rated PG. All ages. Parental guidance suggested. back uh, hey you know something we forgot brad to talk about the, the reason why we're talking about money train is due to a listener right oh that's right yes so uh goodness we've we've had valencia. some i'm sorry valencia valencia yeah she's been listening goodness since the beginning i think i think so yeah yeah so she just reached out she's we we were talking about soundtracks and everything else and she was talking about the money train soundtrack and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I totally forgot about that soundtrack. It, I have it. It's one that I kind of enjoyed. And um, she's like, it, it would be awesome if you guys talked about that because it did bomb. So here we are. I'm going to give a shout out to her. And uh, I'm assuming all of us, this isn't our first time watch. Is that accurate? Oh, no. Okay, good. Well, I'm going to kick it over to our guest. How many times did you listen to The Train is Coming? On the soundtrack, I, <laughs> yeah. I love this by soundtrack. Shaggy and what was it, Ken Booth or whatever that guy's name is. Yeah, I, hey, look, we've got uh, Shaggy, Ken Booth, um, Top of the Stairs with Ski Low, Do You Know by Total, Men of Vision did a song in here, Terry and Monica, um, the Neville Brothers, uh, Luther Vandross has a track on Vandross, there. Vandross, yeah, yeah, I, I like the soundtrack a lot. One Twelve, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, I had the pleasure of being able to watch the film with Nate and, uh, it was one of those, we watch it and then we're like, okay, let's just not talk to each other for the rest of the evening. Cause we were worried about sharing our thoughts. We wanted to be a surprise. So Nate surprise me. What, what you think about money train? It was slow at moments, uh, had some decent action sequences. I think I was surprised by how quickly it started and then it would just lull. And then there would be, in my mind, some nonsensical plot points where Grace is like, oh, should we, shouldn't we? No, he's into me, but I'm into his brother. So I don't, you know, let's go ahead. And then later is like, well, he's the only family you have. And it's like, well, if that was your thought process, would you really jump in the sack with this fella? But uh, there's, it's entertaining enough. Um, I think I will leave it there without uh, tipping my cards too much. What do you mean, tick me your cards? Full disclosure, man. You can tip your cards all you want. Tip your hat, tip your cards. So you, were you not a I, fan I, of the of the Wesley Snipes-Jennifer Lopez relationship? Oh, I was fine with that relationship. I think as far as a plot point, it, it was, it was kind of silly as far as character motivations to say, I'm going to do this one other thing, but I'm going to say this is a value of mine and you should be there for your brother and help bail him out of this stupid situation he's got himself into again. Okay. Um, All right. I think uh, highlights of this, honestly, are the action sequences and and a lot of the one-liners. Just the comedy is there. Um, I think a lot of the uh, charisma uh, that you'll see in White Men Can't Jump did carry over. Uh, it's just not all there. So it's it. So you say it did carry over, but it are you saying it's not as fun to watch as White Man Can't Jump? Uh, yes, I would say that. I would say as far as the, the, them getting along that just that on stream chemistry, they're about 85 to 90% of what they were with white men can't jump. So I think while the studio was trying to replicate kind of what they had, you know, would have been achieved earlier. Um, they almost hit the mark. There's just some, some tangibles and tangibles that are just missing for me. I think that all being said, I still think it's, it's a good watch. Okay. Where, where did you land on this watch, Brad? Or, I mean, did you have a new opinion, carry over the same opinion? Yeah, I mean, it has been a long time since I saw this. And, and I watched this first and then immediately watched White Man Can't Jump. And it it is one of those things where you see Snipes and Harrelson together and they have an amazing chemistry together. And I think they work well off of each other. In an alternate world, we should have gotten 10 more of these movies where they were just fake brothers or whatever. Um, and you know, kind of had them on screen together. Um, this one does suffer quite a bit for some pacing issues for me. It does kind of lull every once in a while. There are some weird subplots, um, with the gambling thing, which kind of ends up turning out to be the motivation, I guess, to rob the train. Um, the you know it is it is interesting to see Jennifer Lopez in a film, um, and I think she's actually relatively good, um, but it, it's it 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 isn't white men can't jump, and I think once you get over that hump, it's still fine. Like I like the train sequence at the end, um, uh, like the special effects of using like that miniature to like show that train flipping over. Uh, the bad guy is a real son of a bitch, the, the money train guy. Um, so you kind of like the fact that he gets his, um, you know, every time they said, 
Mr. Brown. I thought they were talking about Quentin Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs, but you know that's okay. Uh, would have been better. I I kind of want to see Money Train v Reservoir Dogs. That would be kind of cool. Like you want to see everything they, via Reservoir Dogs. If they had to like rob the Money Train, that would be cool. Okay. Um, but yeah, I I think it it's got its problems. Um, but I think as a fun little action film where the main characters are great together and have a great on-screen chemistry. And I mean, Snipes and Jennifer Lopez together is like two super attractive people, like kind of rubbing up against each other, which is, which is nice to see. Um, yeah, it's just, it's weird because it's just got these weird moments in it. Like the torch guy, like really comes to nothing. Like he dies in the second act. Cause you think you see that guy, you're like, Oh, this is like their bad guy at the end like this is going to be the guy they have to get it's not he dies like with 40 minutes left and you're like okay so the the main bad guy is the transit guy um which you kind of knew but then you're like well why is the torch guy in here um it's just there's like a just those moments where things really don't matter and if you cut out some of that stuff i think you could really make this thing like a great 90 minute action film. Like, I think that's where the sweet spot would have been for me. If this was 90 minutes been perfect, but they stretched it out to almost two hours. And I just feel like that's overly long, but I still had a good time. I'm glad I watched it. Um, I'm glad I watched white men can't jump. Cause I watched that remake and that thing was atrocious. So, um, <laughs> if you hear anything that we talk about tonight, it's that white man can't jump still rocks. Okay. Yeah. I look, I can't uh, take away from any of your comments about the plot. So I I think this is one of those films where when you talk about the Chris Cooper character in Torch and you talk about Robert Blake as being your two main villains, from a story perspective, you have to have them in order to get to the heist moment. Because this is... um, Well, then you have Mr. Brown, too, who is also a villain. Yeah, and the gambling. Yeah, the loan sharks is the motivation, (laughs) so... Yeah, so I I think what ends up happening is you have a third act, which really is this heist sequence, and your first two acts are trying to bring these three things between the gambling, the torch, and also the Robert Blake character are all pushing your two main characters into this situation that occurs in the third act, right? Mm -hmm. So from a plot perspective, I'll say this, it's, it's actually kind of interesting because you've got these two subway transit cops who their whole job is to like go down, act drunk, and um, bust people for taking advantage or robbing them. And you've that's got, not entrapment. That's not entrapment, I guess. I don't. I'm not a. I'm, I'm not a Jose, Jose, if Jose were here, he could tell us, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I, I actually think the plot is interesting. But the way the screenplay handles these elements in the first two acts to get us to the third act is kind of clunky. Uh, and I gotta be honest, like the first time I saw this in the theater, I don't think I was a fan. I think I liked the soundtrack a little bit more than I liked the film. It was okay. But, but keep in mind, I mean, that year we had stuff like Crimson Tide, Die Hard with a Vengeance, GoldenEye. Um, I, I, we're just better films, right? Mm-hmm. However, yeah, I don't think anyone would, ar- would argue that those film that this is superior than any of those. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting because this weekend to watch Extraction 2, which, great film. I, I love the 20 minute plus sequence they have in there. It's, it's 
just amazing filmmaking. The fake wonder that they do. Yeah. And the, uh, the, you get John wick four this year, which some would say is like the best action film of all time. And, and okay. Uh, I, there's something about these nineties action films. Let's say the 10th best film of the year for me ends up getting a little bit better. Like, you know, aged wine every year <laughs> that a new action movie comes out. And I, I don't know if again, it's this old man yelling at the skies, um, sort of retrospection that they made action movies better back in my day. Um, or if action movies today have an over-reliance on slick choreography and even slicker CGI. But each time I watch something like Money Train or or even something, if we're talking about Wesley Snipes' filmography, something like Drop Zone and Passenger 57, I appreciate this decade and those films a little bit more. I, I don't know what your guys' reaction is to that comment. Well, I was thinking about that, and then I heard an interview with a stunt coordinator and it was, he was talking about people complaining that we don't use squibs anymore. And he was saying, well, the reason you don't use a squib anymore is it's basically, you have to have like three shirts because you're going to do it once. You're not, something's going to go wrong. Got the reset. That's 20 minutes. You're going to do it again. Something's going to go wrong. That's 20 minutes. And it, you're just looking at it and you go, we could just do this in post and save everyone time. And like, so like there's this ease of use with a lot of these things that you just, when you start to think about money and like the real cost of things, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I can see that. So I can get past like the squid thing. But then you like talk about like using of like miniatures. Like I, I don't know if miniatures are gone now, but like you see this train like toppling over and over and you're like, well, that's up. Miniatures and good sound design. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and all that stuff together just makes a really cool shot. And you see light hitting real objects, even though they're small. But there's just that, I guess it's that physicality of it that really helps the effect. But, you know, you talk about John Wick and you're like, well, it, everything, it's so much of a dance that it feels like there's no freestyling in it because if you freestyled anything, everyone's marks would be off and they couldn't do it because it's like so technical. And like, that's not how fight scenes go, right? Like that's, it doesn't feel natural because people don't fight in that technical aspect uh, where it's like beat, 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 beat. Like it's, it's sloppy. Like a, a fight is sloppy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, how many times are you going to see a, guy in the real world go up against like 50 or 60 other guys. And and I know, you know, one could say that the John Wick film fr franchise is no different than the Marvel or DC universe in terms of John Wick has superhero like qualities and that he goes up through an army of guys and um, the choreography is very similar. And, and I get that, but there, there is something about that sloppiness. There's something about grounding the action in such a way like as, uh, hey, look, I I love the raid two and I love extraction two for the pre the prison sequences that they bring on, but I don't know if emotionally it it brings me into the scene because um, one versus a hundred and some guy coming out of that feels otherworldly versus two cops chasing down a guy 
um, or going up against a couple of thugs. I mean, there, there, there's something that feels like, hey, something could go wrong. Something is sloppy and the stakes are a little bit higher. Even though they should be in this one versus 100, the choreography and the slickness kind of detach me from it, if that makes sense. Yeah, you also know what I, I, I also miss, and I think it really helps me, is baby powder. I know it's stupid. Oh my God, I know yes. it's stupid. I know yeah. it's stupid. No, you're right. The Hong Kong film industry with this whole baby powder in the 80s when, oh, yeah. when like you just, it, see... It, it sold the, things so much. Yeah. But, you know, the the choreography in this film isn't like that at all. But no, like, it's not. Yeah. You're right. Like, there's just... It, it needs to be ugly in a way. Like, I watched Armor of God over the weekend because I... Troy, I think that might be my favorite Jackie Chan film. Okay. Um, all right. And he's fighting the three ladies and yeah. the one jumps off and he kicks her in the shin and she does that flip over. And yeah. like that to me is like, it's dirty. It's like crazy the way they did it. And like now if they did it, it would be completely different. And I just think about the difficulty of that and the danger and for the better, they're not putting people in his danger as much. Cause like, you know, Jackie Chan should be dead. Like he should have died like 17 times. Um, and well, I think he that's almost the, died in armor of God. So yeah, I was going to say, didn't he crack his head open? <laughs> he did. That, that but, was the movie where he split his skull open. Yep. But anyway, um, I, I just, I, we're, we're, we're complaining about choreography. And well, no, I, choreography. I, I, I defer to Nate too. Cause I mean, here, here's a, he's my nephew. So, so he's been indoctrinated. Yes. Yes. And I, <laughs> I can, bit. I can also say that I've kind of watched him go through the evolution in history of films because I got to show him a bunch. We were talking about this weekend where uh, if I were babysitting and, and his uh, sister dropped him off, it was like, hey, we're going to watch this movie, but don't tell your mom. That, that was a lot of what we did. <laughs> so, um, But I don't know what you think, Nate. I mean, you've kind of seen this progression too. Uh, what What's your thought? I think one of the biggest things is just the differences in how they make movies. If you look at I researched this film a little bit. And so some of the stats are they, they, they built a set that was 4,000 feet long. Oh yeah. They actually moved 12 subway cars from New York to LA, then retrofitted them so they could run on propane because they were worried about if they were running electricity, how that would be a hazard on set. So, so those kinds of things nowadays, they would just say, let's CGI it. Let's put them in this green screen subway car and we'll make it look real but I think there's something that, you know, we're talking about choreography with CGI. Sometimes things look just a little too perfect or a little bit too yeah. staged. Yeah. And I think it loses some of its grittiness. And something like this, you you know, New York subway is not known for being clean. If you don't, if you don't have a look a little bit gritty, it takes you out of it. Yeah. There, I, it, that's an interesting fact because this movie, even though a lot of it's filmed in Los Angeles on that set, it still feels very New York in terms of its presentation. Mm -hmm. um, that that's amazing, and 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 I'm I'm gonna say this. I I think the critics are wrong, and I think the audience is wrong on this one too. I really think there's a lot more to like uh, about this film than I think people give it credit for, and I think there's three things. First of all, we've already talked about it. It's the Woody Harrelson Wesley Snipes chemistry. Uh, I, I think it's still there. It's probably not at the level of white man can't jump, but I fault the script, uh, for that more than anything, but yep. even what they're given in money train, they do an amazing job with, 
in in a, a great scene which feels like it doesn't necessarily need to be there but i think it sums up the relationship of these two characters is they're having an argument while they're getting mugged i i think it pretty much sums up those characters but it gives them a chance to to be woody harrelson and wesley snipes in this sort of chemistry comedic gold um partnership that they got going on um the the second thing is I think the Wesley Snipes and Jennifer Lopez relationship works. I like the little salsa dancing in the alley. I like the boxing sequence. These moments that they connect feel genuine. And again, I think those two have really good chemistry. And the fact that Woody Harrelson's sort of off to the side trying to woo her too adds a little bit of element to it. Um, and, you know, Wesley Snipes and Jennifer Lopez, I, I think they're a dreamy couple. I mean, I... I know there's a lot of stuff. We're not going to. You wanted more of that sex scene is what you're trying to say. No, 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 no. <laughs> what I was going to say was if you go to the internet, Jennifer Lopez has said some things about this film and specifically that scene. And she is saying she didn't have the greatest time making this film because of Wesley Snipes. So take that with what you will. I don't, I don't think that's been confirmed, denied, whatever. It's just one of those things is as a result of like um, Jennifer Lopez kind of looking back at her career and saying, Hey, um, here's what it was like coming into the film industry and me being told I got to do this. And I, I really wasn't ready for it, but we're not going to tackle that. What I do want to say is that take, <laughs> take the sex scene or the, the stories behind the scenes of what happened. Those two in front of the camera, I think have something. I, I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but I, I think they're a great on-screen couple. No, I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. And then what, what was your, what's your third thing? The third thing, which is the most important thing of this film is the nineties action. And I specifically want to call it the nineties action. So just the last half of the film alone, you get uh, setting a guy on fire and then running him over with a train. Fantastic mannequin sequence, but it looks real. I mean, it looks really good of the mannequins that uh, have been hit by a train. This one's like top three, in my opinion. I mean, it feels a little overkill, right? Like he was probably going to die for being yeah. set on fire, but like, <laughs> but that's the nineties, man. It's, yeah. it's kind of like a holdover from the eighties, which I love. You get Wesley. Now, I don't remember. Does he say anything after he gets hit by the subway? Like, no, 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 no. See the eighties had have. the quip, whereas the nineties yeah. took it a little bit more seriously. It was overkill, but Wesley Snipes okay. wasn't going to make a joke. What's, what's workshop? What he should, what should he have said? What should he have said? I, dude, these kind of things, I would never, I would never be a good action star at uh, all. The tra- no. Uh, yeah, no see. ticket. No ticket. Mm, yeah. Yeah, see. But you need something that has train and fire element. This should be yeah. something for our listeners. I would love for somebody to write in some feedback and say, if you're rewriting the script and making it a little bit more of an 80s action film, what quip could you have put Why does in he there? just, like, he should have used the name of the song, The Train Is Coming. What? motherfucker no oh, i don't yeah. know he's <laughs> off the rails yeah oh yes yes yeah um then you get wesley snipes face kicking a bunch of people in the club which he looks great at the, the dude has some physicality that's almost ballet like when he's swinging those arms and, and feet around you get a motorcycle subway sequence of this motorcycle going down almost running over people to get on the train tracks you get this amazing barricade sequence uh, that looked like a great combination of live action with models. Snipes almost falling out of the train, which 
looked very realistic. There, there is a little bit of uh, camera work there and some special effects, but it still looked really good. You get train jumping, which was amazing. Train crashing. Uh, Jennifer Lopez like speeding around in her car. I mean, yeah, it's it's typical bloated '90s action tropes, but I think it works. And it's not that it was the best action sequence of the year, and it's not probably even close to something like what Die Hard with a Vengeance did, um, or even Goldeneye. But I enjoy it, and I probably equate it to if you're if you're talking about like unhealthy snacks, it's probably like the oatmeal cream pie of action films. I mean, you're not going to eat a bunch of oatmeal cream pies, but you like one every once in a while. Well, since Woody Harrelson's in it, it's the Twinkie. It's the Twinkie. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys had a favorite action sequence. I, I really enjoyed that back half. And uh, again, it's a little sloppy. It doesn't look choreographed. Um, it I, I think it's a lot of fun, especially in that last half of it. No, I think that train sequence is pretty exciting because I had... I didn't remember it as well. And I, I had always remembered it as kind of being a letdown. And then I saw it this time and I was like, Oh no, it, it actually it's long and it's got a lot of different sort of action changes. And I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought it was a great way to end the film. Um, I wish it kind of got there a little sooner, but it is a great way to end the movie. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't know. I don't know if you, ha- what you thought of it, Nathan, I, I know you've seen a lot of action films cause I forced them on you, but <clears throat> I, I think my favorite sequence, or at least top three, would definitely be that train sequence. You've got a lot of a, uh, how do you slow down the train? How do we get off the train with the money? No, you can't get off the train with some money because then that's stealing. And I'm going to save you. And how do we save this train from ramming this other train to save the passengers? But how do we save our own bacon? So you have these, they're being pulled by in all these different directions by these different motivations and trying to, to figure out how to make it work. Because now they've got a runaway train that they need to stop, but they can't put the brake on, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, there's a lot going on. If you can track it all, it's great and it makes sense, I think. But if you miss one of those things, you're like, uh, what's going on here? Yeah, true. Um, can we talk about some of the WTF moments? So here, here's the thing. 80s and 90s films, especially when you go back and revisit them, they are a product of their time. But there, there are a couple of sequences that you watch and you go, oh, goodness. Um would would those story beats uh, be in something that you see today? So there's one early in the beginning of the film where a bunch of security cops pretty much fill a teenage kid with bullets to protect their subway change. Yeah, um, that, they shot that kid up. That struck me as like, oh, that's really dark to come out of the gate. Yeah, uh, some might say excessive. The use of excessive force. <laughs> yeah. But they're not the ones that get in trouble. That's the interesting yeah. thing. They like, did not get uh, in trouble at all because Robert Blake was protecting his money train, right? Um, but I'll say this. That's a great way to set up your first villain, right? Uh, it, yes, sec- you're one of three villains. Yep. Yeah. The, the security guard just mows down this kid. And Robert Blake was like, hey, that's good. It sends a message. Like, don't fuck with my money train, I think is what he says, right? I think can't yes, pay I think for that, that press. Yeah. Uh the other one, which I'm laughing because I, I, I'm just like, hey, I'm, I'm sure this happens, but uh, it was it was the two women trying to take Wesley Snipes home, who's who's playing a drunk, trying to capture you know a perp entrapment or whatever you want to call it, Brad, fancy legal words. 
Um, but they, they see him and they're like, oh, he looks kind of cute. Let's take him home and date rape him or something. Um, I mean, he does look kind of cute. I'm not going to lie. Is, it is a yeah. 1995 Leslie well, Snipes. Well, well, I'm going to try to take him home, but maybe not forcefully. You said kind of? No, I'm sorry. He was so hot in this movie. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would try to take him home, but not forcefully. I would ask him very politely and say if he could consent or not. And if he couldn't, then we would just take a rain check. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. Those two scenes always catch me off guard when I see him. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that's in there. It's a little bit of a um, culture shock to look at this from 2023. It doesn't take, I don't think it takes you out of it. I think one is a great setup for a villain. And I think the other one provides a comedic moment. But you're like, I don't know if they would do that kind of comedy today. Um, but again, product of his time, right? Yeah. Uh, what other thoughts do you have on this little action gem from the mid-90s? One of my favorite comedic moments is uh, when Woody's got the 15 grand in his pocket and he's on the train and he's so immersed and watching other people get their pockets picked that he gets his pocket picked by this nice old lady who's not so nice and not so old looks like. Yeah, that's good. I liked it. I would be concerned if cops just had like $15,000 in an envelope and I don't, I don't know. They're I'm getting some corrupt cops uh, vibes from that because they were talking earlier and I never know if they actually, if they were insinuating that maybe that the Wesley Snipes character took it, but they were like talking about how like $25,000 went missing. And then a little while later, they're like, Oh, here's 15 grand. Just well, for, no, they found you know, the 25. Remember the guys. Come back? Yeah. Cause he it was said, a clerk. Oh, that's right. That's right. A clerk, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, that, that was his savings. Yeah, I got he built it. his brother up. Okay, it, it's always disappointing to see like in real life like fifteen thousand dollars, and you're just like, oh, it's not in hundreds. It's not that impressive. <laughs> like, oh, uh, that. that is that is the whitest thing you've ever. It's always disappointing <laughs> to see fifteen thousand. <laughs> I used to work at a bank, so maybe I should put it that way. Okay, I'm not just my saying. You're like, mm, well, Brian, yes. Yeah. Now if it were but fifty thousand like dollars, I've been impressed. Yeah. <laughs> not that much all right uh okay a- any other thoughts on money train okay. uh, i did want to mention one more thing yeah. um it looks like the assistant stunt coordinator was jack gill's brother mm-hmm. or at least they have the same last name andy gill and it looks like he's got more mbb creds than his brother jack does so jack gill has 186 credits and andy gill has 290 Oh, dang. Ooh. And among those are Black Panther, Kong Skull Island, Talladega Nights. Some of these he's just a stunt driver in, but some he's a coordinator in as well. Naked Gun 33 and a third. Thir- sorry, 33 and a third. And then this is one of your favorites, Troy. Hot Shots Part Two. Oh, my God. Yes. Love that film. And then also featured on episode 152, Dead Heat. He's involved with Dead Heat. Oh, Oh, okay. Hey, I I can't emphasize enough that from a technical aspect, the stunt work in this film is really good, especially in the Mm -hmm. last half. Well, they had more people helping with stunts than actors in the film. True. I mean, (laughs) that's, yeah. To me, that's not a bad thing. But no, no, uh, no, no, not at all. I'm not knocking, just an observation, not a judgment. Yeah, I like like these type of movies more than the smoochy romantic movies. So. If you have more stunt people than let's kick, let's kiss with our feet, not with our exactly. Mouth. Yeah. Taste this. Kiss my converse. Pow. <laughs> All right. I'm going to start with you, Nate. Uh, we just got have, done having a, a fun discussion over money train. Now you, you got to vote on this one. Do you, do you think this is a bomb 
or not a bomb? I would say it's not a bomb. Um, if you've not seen it, seen it at least the once. Now you might have diminishing returns with the second time, and then maybe consider a bomb after that. But I think it's uh, definitely worth seeing the once. Okay. There's enough action. Uh, it does have some pacing issues. I believe kind of touched on, but I think there's still enough action and enough laughs to to get through it. Okay. All right. I like it. What about you, Brad? Where are you landing on this one? Yeah, I would say kind of along the lines with Nate is it is a fairly serviceable action film that has its problems. But at the end of the day, you can see Woody and Wesley and JLo actually holds her own. So I think it's definitely not a bomb to me. Probably isn't one you're going to like want to watch over and over again. But, you know, for every one to, you know, every 10 years, you're totally fine. Yeah, I, I agree with you both. It's not a bomb. It It is definitely comfort food. I, th- I think this is the definition of one of the films that you can put on and then not totally pay attention to. And I, I, I say this. I You said diminishing returns. I've actually appreciated a little bit more each time I, I watch it. But I can also say that this would be one of those that I would no, have no problem putting on, watching the parts that I like and then listening to the rest um, that I wasn't too interested in. And then 100% just paying real close attention to probably the last 30 minutes of the film, which are, I, I really think is where the strength is. But there, there are these moments throughout it. You talked about the the subway, the old lady pickpocketing, um, them trying to get robbed. I mean, there, there's enough of that chemistry that really carries it into the big uh, 90s bloated action. But I, I had fun visiting this thing again. I... This is one of those where I could see the critics look at it and, and tear it apart fine. But I think the audiences are a little too harsh on this one, in my opinion. If, if it <laughs> if it rated, what would you say, the 20-some percents? Um, 27, I think. That's ridiculous. Like, come on, people. You need to have fun. Uh, so this gave us a great excuse to go back and watch 1992's White Man Can't Jump. And Brad, you took one for the team and watched the remake, but I could really. I'd watch the remake, like when it came out because i live in jack harlow country okay and well, yeah i don't care about the remake but yeah. let, let's talk about white man can't jump real quick this would be one that we would not talk about on the show as a primary film because it was a box office hit and critically it did very well i think rosie perez got a lot of um accolades from some of the, like the the local critics associations etc for her performance but brad i'm going to start with you going back to to watch this one um what do you think of it yeah, I I loved going back to it. It had been a little bit of time. Um, yeah, it's pretty sad that I had seen the remake re- more recent than the original. And man, immediately you're just like, these two guys are the best. And, you know, it does the whole cliche where they don't get along and this and that. And then, you know, they get along and then they have a falling out. And uh, But, you know, as, as cliche and stuff as it is, it's so good. And it, it, it just goes to show that like, it's a simple premise, but the, the actors involved really kind of kill it. And it's still funny. Rosie Perez is great. It, it just has it all. And it's like surprisingly like a really underrated sports movie. Yeah. Cause I, no one's going to say white men can't jump is the best sports movie ever, but like, you could argue that it's in the top 10 and I would be like, I might agree with you. I, I would or top five, hey, you know, like it's a great, it's a great companion piece to bull Durham in my opinion. Mm-hmm, yeah, I could see that, but yeah. no, I, 
it holds up. It, it's probably better today than at any point in time. It's just, it's so good. But man, Wesley Snipes cannot play basketball. It is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about you, Nate? You've seen this before, right? I, I guess I should have asked that. Uh, White Men Can't Jump, I think, is one I'd only seen clips of, at, at least as far as I can remember. So this past weekend, start to finish, I think the first time I remember oh, okay. uh, in a long time. So uh, again, thanks for that. Uh, yet another one you could chalk up to uh, your influence. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, I watching White Men Can't Jump, I could see how any studio exec would see this film and be like, well, if I cast these two and get them in a movie, we're just going to be printing money. And I could see how why they would have been convinced hey if we throw all this money at money train we're going to make more than many to recoup our loss you know it won't be a loss it's it's going to be uh, a windfall um lots of just funny moments um it's predictable at beats but um some others not so much uh especially uh what leads to their falling out uh that that was uh, one that i didn't see coming so it's uh it's just really enjoyable and it's fun to watch and it's definitely one i'll, I'll revisit sooner than later Okay. I, I do want to take issue with one comment you made, Brad, in that you felt it was a little bit predictable in that they don't get along, they get along. I I think what's kind of refreshing about this film is the Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson character don't get along for most of the film. And even where the film ends, I think they have an appreciation, but it feels like it's they're starting to get along, but it's still not a complete resolution. Like I like the fact that through the entire runtime, they are at odds of e- against each other and they are playing off of this concept, which mm-hmm. becomes this running joke through the entire film. And I, I, I think, okay, you, you talk about white man can't jump being an underappreciated sports film. I want to say white man can't jump is one of the most underappreciated screenplays in my opinion. Because if you think about some of this dialogue and what I love about this film is watching characters discovering things or advice that's given to them and watching their character growth through that advice or story arc. But this whole concept of listening versus hearing, it's, it's a great example of this running joke that's always going on through the film. But it's these words that work on so many levels because that joke represents exactly their story arc and their character arc. And it's a great sports film, but it's a, it's a great film about relationships, men and men, men and women. And it is a perfect example of your themes right in front of you, the entire film. And it's done as this joke, but all of their struggles and all of their adversity is all about who's listening versus who's hearing. And I love that. And I, I think that's the, the token of a very, very smart and intelligent screenplay. Mm-hmm. You know who thought this was a very intelligent uh, screenplay and loved the film? Who's that? Was Stanley was Stanley Kubrick's favorite movies of all time. Stanley Kubrick? Really? Yes. Really? Yeah, that's what, <laughs> according to IMDb, it was like one of his favorite films of all time. I, I believe that. I mean, I, yeah. I know he's a big you know uh, proponent of storytelling. And uh, this this is fantastic. I mean, this this is an example of if you get Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes, who I think are fantastic actors, and put them with a screenplay this good, 
you you automatically have a success. Like all you all you got to do as a director then is just put the camera in front of them and let them read the screenplay and and do their acting stuff and it's a hit in my opinion. Well, it also goes to show you it's not a lift and shift though either. On the success, right? You can't just take these two guys, shift them over to a new screenplay and say it's going to be successful just throw more money at it. Not going to work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I I think they make Money Train as good. So it's Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson's chemistry along with the the stunt team that make Money Train watchable and enjoyable. But yeah, this, I think you take them out of Money Train and it's probably ooh, it's, not good at all. Yeah, then it then it's rough to get to that third act, right? Yeah. yeah. So they're yeah. carrying the movie for that two thirds for sure. A hundred percent. I agree. And I don't know if you guys have a favorite scene. Like there is a, if, if we're talking white man can't jump the minute somebody goes, Oh, we're going to watch white man can't jump. There is one scene. I always get just giddy. Like I'm waiting for it to show up and it's the glass of water scene. Glass of water. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. That's probably my favorite scene out of, because Rosie Perez just explaining this article and what her expectation is over this request of the glass of water and Woody Harrelson, like the fact he didn't get some kind of Academy Award for just that sequence bothers me because he's so good. And that scene is so funny. It is laugh out loud funny. And then well, even it's how it's so ends. real, though. It's so real. Oh, my God. Yes. I've had that conversation with Tabitha a few times. Um, yes. It's authentic. Well, then you come to, then it just makes you realize that Rosie Perez was fucking awesome and she yeah. should have been in way more stuff. I'm just mad that she wasn't but yeah, yeah. I, I agree yeah i i don't know if you guys have a favorite scene it's it's that one and uh woody harrelson trash talking uh the two guys at the tournament when wesley snipes is like hey you got to pay attention to these guys we, we gotta we're probably gonna face them in the finals and then his just mouth starts just starts going off i'm in tears during that sequence it's all good man Okay. I mean, it is. It is. I, I think it's a great intro to him. Like, it's almost like his character from Cheers picked up and pl- he's playing the quote unquote, the chump, you know, this naive kid from the Midwest that doesn't know anything. And of course, he couldn't be able to he wouldn't be able to play basketball. And so I'm going to pick him. And then he's he's hustling. And that's such a great intro to a character to kind of know, like, he is there to make money. And then you learn why he needs to make money and just how he's going to go about it. And they, they partner up out of necessity. You know, we've touched on how they don't necessarily get along. I would argue even at the end of the film, they're, they're maybe appreciating each other more, but they're not even really getting along. They're just doing it because they have to, that that's how they can get through the challenges that they're each individually facing. So. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the other thing that it does um, smartly is, uh, and we're, we're all, we're all married men. It, it does highlight the glue that sometimes the the significant other um, or the relationships kind of bring to our life when the chaos is coming, because there's that entire sequence when those guys are at arguing and then the basketball team's on there. And then you, you basically have Rosie Perez and I, I can't remember her name, uh, Wesley Snipes wife come out and they're like, look, we have a solution. And they, and they come to the table with, this is what you're going to do. And they're, and the guys are like, okay, so Rhonda, was it Rhonda? Okay. Rhonda. Yeah. I think, I think this movie does a really good job of as much as it's a Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson film, the supporting characters, especially the female characters 
have as much weight in where the story goes, fully developed characters. And uh, it's authentic, right? Like those relationships, you 100% believe that's how it's going. And you see, you know, some of the power dynamics that are going on in these relationships would make it so fascinating outside of the basketball and the sports element. I, I'm going to say this. I think it's a perfect film. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I was not ready for that. I do. I love this film so much. I, mm. I really enjoy it. I think it's super rewatchable. Um, I will. Yes. I, I think, I think that is correct. I can't for- think of a scene in it that I would take out. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think there's a flat performance in it either. No, I mean, no, you're not, not, at all, not at all. I just like, I try I, to keep that perfect film. That's reserved moniker. Yeah. For I, like, I know everybody reserves it, but man, look, if, if you get a film that has this many layers and you can appreciate it on all of these different layers between the screenplay, the performances, the themes, the story arc, everything else, why can't you call it a perfect film and say, I mean, in terms of a relationship sports film, I mean, I love Bull Durham, but I would I would say this rivals Bull Durham in the same thing. Yeah, I will. I mean, ten year old Brad probably cried when Billy caught the alley oop pass and dunked it. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, he probably did. So maybe you're right. I don't know, Troy. Perfect is a bold statement. I know Jackie Chan's you're, not in it, so it's hard to put that label on there. Yeah. But um, I'm going to. Did Jackie Chan ever make a basketball movie? He should. I mean. I don't know. Not anymore. Stephen Chow made a soccer film and it's it's Shaolin soccer. Yeah. That's a perfect film right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Brad, what are we going to talk about? Well, look real quick. We, at this point would usually have robo reviewer do something, but oh. uh, he's down for the count this week. We're hoping he got some, he got some back. feedback this week. That was a little bit, uh, a little bit hurting his feelings. So hopefully we hear from him next week i think he's prepping for a return but yeah he's he's uh he's got some soul searching to do um but okay yeah no robo reviewer this week maybe next week um nate you had something i do i have one question about money train yeah is it a christmas film oh um i mean (sighs) there are christmas present well i mean but is, is also is it a new year's movie as well I guess it does run into New Year's, but it's got Christmas music. There's presents. There's Christmas trees. I just I, I bring this up because some people, you know, there's two types of people: those who say Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and then those that are wrong. So that is the silliest debate, in my opinion. Look, if if <laughs> if at Christmas time you want to put Die Hard in, and it brings the family together, it makes you feel better. Great for me. It's it's something like It's a Wonderful Life, but. I'm not, you, you could say whatever film you want is a Christmas film because it has that meaning to you. Awesome. Go for it. I, I know there are, there are films that specifically fit the Christmas film genre and others who fall into this. Let's have a debate on whether or not it's a Christmas film and you're right, wrong. I I don't care. I really don't. Um, sorry. (laughs) All good, Troy. (laughs) Do you want to know what we're watching next week? Yes. What are we watching next week? I think it's another viewer request or viewer request. Listener. Listener. We're not showing our faces. Yes. We have faces Um, for podcasting. People. Oh, sorry. People. Uh, Philip, who is probably, I think, the guy who's been listening to our show the longest, um, has been wanting us to do a film from 1977. It's a supernatural horror film. It didn't. 
It is called The Haunting of Julia, but it's also called Full Circle, I believe. Uh, but in the United States, it's known as The Haunting of Julia. Yes. And Shout Mia Factory. Shout oh, yes. Factory just put this out on 4K, I believe. Yes, they did. Yeah. So Philip had been, t- so he's the one that had been recommending it, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So way back when, when he had talked about this, we put it on the list. And then as soon as Shout Factory had announced it, which Philip, you uh, amazing precognition skills. But when, when they said, Hey, we're going to release this, I pre-ordered it and had it day one and we were saving it. But this is one of those we wanted to kind of pull forward, not wait for spooky season or anything, because um, this is one that Brad and I, Every time we go through the list, we're like, we really need to get to this because it sounds super interesting. And that 4K apparently is a really good transfer. Yep, yep. So I moved it up, and yeah, we're 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 doing that. Awesome. Uh, Which I've never seen it, so it'll be a. I've never seen it. I didn't didn't even know it existed until somebody (laughs) wrote in. Um, Nate, do you do you have any other recommendations outside of Debt to Smoochie? Since we did that, is there anything that's on your list that we need to push up? Um, I'm trying to think think uh rules of attraction maybe one i'll have to double check though to see if that was a bomb i believe that's from 2002 james vanderbeek and some other cast on that and then oh um since brad is such a big fan of musicals uh you have cannibal the musical oh which is also from trauma so i, 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 I did highly pick... highly recommend that i i, I, I bought that for sure that's a bomb because that was a college project that had zero box office so yeah, I bought that because I thought that was going to be a breaking Brad moment, um, which is a great transition, Brad. In a week or so, we're going to do another yeah. breaking Brad episode. What what are we doing this month? Yeah, we're doing that film called From Justin to Kelly. The full screen version, I think, is the one you yes, chose. Yes, full screen. Yes, yeah, I have to screen. watch the full screen. You version. have to watch the full screen, not the widescreen. Um, My DVD came in the mail, so I have it. Yeah, I might have to. <laughs> I'm a 40 year old man, and I got from Justin to Kelly in my mailbox, and I'm like, "What am I doing with my life?" What's Amazon recommending now to you? <laughs> I was yeah, to say no, I, I marked it as a, I marked it as a gift so it wouldn't uh, mess up my algorithm. Oh, okay. Uh, we also have another special project. I I I want I so badly want to announce it because I'm actually putting in a lot of research for this thing. You're doing a lot. You're doing a lot of the heavy lifting. I'm doing a lot, and I'm really worried that at the last minute we're gonna have to reschedule. So I don't want to announce it yet. But if if all the stars align, uh next week on top of the haunting of Julia, you're gonna get sort of a special June episode. Um, and and I'm really excited to do it because I, I think it's gonna take our typical conversation in an entirely new direction. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm having to do a lot. I mean, a lot of research on this, so more to come on not. that. <laughs> <laughs> Brad is just, and, I, and I'm showing up. So you're going to watch the movies and that's it. Aren't you? Yeah. Okay. It'll be fun. I really hope that pans out. I hope this also is somebody we can bring back uh, on a regular basis. So, uh, speaking of really cool things, what other podcasts should people be checking out? Yes, the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema returned this week, so go listen to E El Condor, not Eastern Condor, El Condor, right? Yeah, Western, Western, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Western. Like, um, yeah. Watch Skip Plus, which I prob guessing they're doing Rise of the Beast this. No, no, Flash, right? The Flash. They're doing Flash. Yeah. Rise of the Beast was last week. Uh, the VHS Files, Night of the Living podcast, the Mixtape podcast, and Raiders of the podcast from across the pond. 
So go check those guys out. Yes. Listen to all of them. Um, and look, we, we have, we got some feedback we're sitting on for when robo reviewer isn't sick. And, uh, we'll share that feedback when, uh, he, it, she is, is back uh, to full health. They, they, sorry. It, it. Yeah. Mm. What do you call AI from a pronoun perspective? Is it just it? Oh boy, this is getting into some very okay. Like, we we won't go there. We, won't go there. we, we, we go should ask. We should ask it. Yeah. Okay. Or. That's true. It's always it's always best to ask. But yep. Brad, if somebody wants to send in some feedback or send some recommendations in, like Cannibal the Musical, how do they do that? Yeah, that is not a bomb. Not a bomb podcast at gmail.com or you can go to not a bomb podcast and hit the contact us button and leave us a suggestion or there or look us up on Instagram, Facebook and or Twitter. Yes, absolutely. And and folks write into us. We've been loving the social media engagement, uh, all the responses, the direct messaging. Um, we, we try to respond as soon as possible. We'd love to read some of your feedback on the show. If you get a chance or you're so inclined, leave us a rating. I think that's how more people will find out about us is if you go out there and brag about us, um, we'll, we'll get some more listeners. Outside of that, I can't think of any other housekeeping, Brad, outside of I got to go back into my research mode after the show and read some more books. But anything else? Oh, happy Father's Day. Belated Father's Day. Yeah. Oh, same to you, sir. Yeah. 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 Nate, you're not in this one. I'm sorry. I get to play with them, go home and sleep in. So I'm, I'm good with that. Oh yeah. You're Enjoy winning. sleeping. That's true. You're winning. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess that's a wrap then. I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon or evening. Thanks for stopping by and listening to our thoughts on money train. Come back next week. I know it's not spooky season, but heck we can't wait. We're going to talk about a scary ghost story. I think I've never seen it. Sounds awesome though. It's a listener request, so it's going to be awesome. Uh, I guarantee it. We'll, we'll check you next week. Don't lose your head. 